0: This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, the Black Wolves walked into Denver and walked out, handing the Mammoths their third straight loss. We're going to talk about meaningless games and goalie choices. George and Calgary got two wins, so we'll hear from Mitch Belisle and Andrew McBride. The Bandits and The Rock this weekend in a huge NLL East division, and we talk about gotcha. All that more on OTCB. What's going on, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud, NLL Radio, and iTunes. My name is Teddy Jenner. Thank you for stopping by. I do have a voice. I'm feeling much better. I believe I sound a lot better than I did last weekend after Vegas took a toll on me. One nothing Vegas. It's actually probably like a lot to nothing for Vegas. Has anybody ever won going to Vegas? I don't think so. If you don't leave Losing Vegas, then did you really do it right? Probably not. Anyway, back to the task at hand. Uh, if you want to get a hold of me here at the show, you can. You can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Or you can find me on the old Twitter box at off the crossbar. Uh, been a lot of different discussions on Twitter over the past few weeks. And Remember last week we were talking about the whole sound thing in the Saskatchewan arenas and then how the Nash Lacrosse League was going to sort of start watching that. Well, I actually went back and watched that rush game against Colorado at the start of the month, and it really is obvious that they are turning the music down when the rush were on offense. Or sorry, when the rush were on defense. More and and not just like turning it down a couple notches, legitimately pretty much stopping the music. And I guess maybe I hadn't noticed it before. Maybe it was just that game that it stood out so much, or maybe it was that everybody had been pointing to that game that I noticed it or that I heard it. But go back and watch that game. and Just watch the first quarter and watch when the rush have possession and how loud the music gets, and then when the rush are on defense, how quiet it got. Take it for what it is. Some call it sports, or some call it gamesmanship. Other people think it's not fair. Some people think gamesmanship should is sort of, by definition, cheating slash gaining an unfair advantage. Nonetheless, we move on. We talked to Chris Gorbeil. You could talk to most players out there. They don't really notice the music. Crowd noise is much more effective than speaker music, but we'll move on because there were um, some good lacrosse games this weekend, some not-so-good lacrosse games this weekend, a little bit of clarity in the Eastern standings, but still not much. There are some scenarios that we'll go through that kind of clear things a little bit. Toronto, on life support, pretty much got a win out. As soon as they lose a single game, they are done. So, they need some help. Georgia probably has the easiest road to the playoffs. They can get in this weekend without even playing. But they also have Vancouver and New England in their final two games next weekend. So, we'll talk about the East Standings in a bit. Of course, we already know the West Standings, uh, the rush number one, Mammoth two, Roughnecks three. May 5th will be the playoff game at the Pepsi Center between the Mammoth and the Roughnecks. We'll talk with Andrew McBride, Roughnecks analyst, former captain, in a little bit. Um, He and I have a standing wager on things. And I think it's the ninth time that they'll meet in the playoffs, or maybe the tenth time that they'll meet in the playoffs. And Colorado doesn't have a very good track record. They don't have a very good track record against Calgary. Now, that can play two ways. That can play in an overconfidence for Calgary, but it can also play as a regular confidence. But it could also work in Colorado's favor. You know what? We got nothing to lose because everybody expects us to lose in the playoffs to this team, so let's just go out. But what concerns me about the Colorado Mammoth is their offense right now. Now, they didn't have Stephen Keogh in the lineup against New England this weekend. Uh, they will have him for the game against Toronto in two weekends' time and expect him in the game during the playoffs. And unfortunately for Ryan Lee, who at times looked like he could hang, there were moments where he just didn't have the ability to keep up with the pace of play in the National Cross League. Rang a couple balls off post, definitely could have changed that game. Um, The crease call that he was called for on, I believe it was the Banesh goal, uh, could have changed the dynamics of that lacrosse game. But from the jump, Colorado didn't seem in that game. And it's sort of what we talked about with Chris Corbeil last weekend on the podcast when I asked him, since none of these games mean anything in the West the rest of the way, how hard is it? to keep your team's focus, knowing that they basically have a few weeks off. And he had said, you know, we have to make sure we're focusing on the now. We have to make sure we focus on the task at hand and not get too far ahead of ourselves. But it wasn't going to be an easy task. So when I got to Colorado this weekend and I saw head coach Pat Cole, I pretty much asked him the same question, and he said it, it's, there's no easy answer. And it's, it's about motivating guys. It's about giving them proper mind thoughts. It's about keeping them focused and keeping them in the moment. And unfortunately for the Mammoth, the looming roughneck sign that's hanging over them leading up to that May 5th game could be weighing on them. Because in their last two games, their offense hasn't been the greatest. Uh, They scored eight against New England. They scored six, a season low. Sorry, they scored eight against Saskatchewan two weeks ago. Six, a season low against New England this weekend. And it worries me because they're going up against a Calgary team that's starting to play with a lot more confidence and a lot more swagger, and they're going to go into that game May 5th with a lot of confidence and swagger. And I think the bye week this weekend is a good thing for Colorado. I think they can just forget about their last two games, even the last three games. um you know the comeback loss against Rochester really hurt after a great weekend on the road. If they would have been able to come away with two games that weekend, um I think things be are different. uh The loss to Saskatchewan was a killer. Uh, those two goal calls that went against the mammoth um, were really backbreakers and really would have you know, change the dynamic of that lacrosse game if those calls go Colorado's way. But it's as if the Mammoth have kind of put it in cruise control, and that's not a comforting sign um, for fans. Uh, It just wasn't, they weren't there this past weekend. It was unfortunate because it was an incredible night. It was lacrosse out cancer night. Uh, The helmets were designed by kids from the Rocky Mountain Hospital for children and everything that was evolved around that night. And just unfortunately, they didn't bring it. But when we talked last week, I said it wouldn't surprise me if Steven Fryer started that game Saturday night. Give Dylan Ward a rest. Just give him the night off. You could even play your third string goalie and backup if you want. But usually Fryer starts, keep Ward on the bench, let him be there. And that's really what I thought was going to happen. And at shoot around Saturday, talking with the guys, being around the team, it, you know, like obviously got the sense right away that that Dylan Ward was going to start. So I asked Pat Coyle again. Was there ever any thought of not starting Dylan? And he said, not really. Um, I'm not sure what kind of message that sends to the team by doing that. And it's a good point. You know, if the coach is sort of resigning to playing the backup, what mentality does that put your team in? What it can do is it can, it can spark a team. Um, it can work two ways, and we saw it both this weekend, uh, Friday night in Vancouver. The Saskatchewan rush gave Adam Shute an opportunity to start. I believe it was actually his very first start in the National Lacrosse League, and he came away with a huge win, his first ever in the National Lacrosse League. Much like Stephen Fryer earlier In the year for Colorado, came in, got the start. Proved he was a willing competitor. Came away with a win as first ever. Adam Shute did the same thing. And then the next night, Saskatchewan puts their number one guy in, and Evan Kirk, and they end up losing to Georgia. So it's a double-edged sword. You can look at it either way of whether or not in games that don't have a lot of meaning... Does it hurt or help your team to play some depth guys? Give guys a chance to get into the lineup. And you can argue both sides of that coin. For Colorado, they went with their number one guy. The only change they they made was Ryan Lee in for Stephen Keogh. And unfortunately, their team didn't have it. Lucky that none of the games really mean anything, but now with the week off, they have to go into that Toronto game in two weeks with a killer mentality and a killer focus because if you go into that Calgary game, that one-game division semifinal on a four-game losing streak to end the season, that's tough. That's going to weigh on a lot of people. So the game against Toronto not only is it going to be big for the Mammoth, it's going to probably be big for Toronto as well if they're still in it. Conversely, if Toronto's out and Colorado, again, we know their fate, that really brings up a mental wonderment of what you do with your roster for both clubs. But I think being the final game of the year, in the final weekend of the year, if your team's not playing double games, that the lineup you dress this weekend will be the lineup that you play game one of the playoffs. You have to give your players the ability to be ready to go. That's why I thought this past weekend would have been the perfect weekend for Colorado to rest some guys, give some guys that haven't gotten a taste or gotten a lot of touches in the NLL maybe a chance to run, so that in two weeks when you play Toronto, then you can get your number one group out there, get everybody healthy, everybody on the same page, and start your run from there. But alas, it wasn't a good night for the Colorado Mammoth. They didn't play very well. Uh, They turned the ball over more than I've ever seen them turn the ball over, especially out of the D end. But you have to give a lot of credit to Glenn Clark's group because they had a game plan. And it was one that I hadn't seen too many teams um, do efficiently enough to maintain it all game. Some teams have tried things to throw Colorado off their game at points. And the Mammoth have just been able to run past their presses or open up their defense when needed. Colorado didn't have an answer for what New England threw at them. And they didn't have an answer for Kevin Crowley, who was an absolute man child. Five goals on the evening. If you can stop Kevin Crowley, that's obviously a different game. So many ifs. But they just didn't have an answer for him. Uh, They didn't have an answer for the two-man game between him and Callum Crawford. I think the Mammoth were so caught up in not allowing Callum to beat them that it allowed Kevin Crowley, the league's top goal scorer, to do the damage. So kudos to New England. They were full merit. Aaron Bold was fantastic in between the pipes. Um, And Again, Kevin Crowley was great. Maybe they got the benefits of a Colorado team that wasn't all there. Regardless, you can never criticize a team's effort when they win. And New England came in. They knew their game plan, and they executed it perfectly. And they launched themselves right back into the thick of things In the NLL East, they're tied for third with Buffalo. A game back of Georgia and Rochester. The other game that I really want to focus on from this past weekend first was the game Friday night in Toronto where the Rock, I believe, had an 8-3 lead on Rochester at one point only to allow the Nighthawks to battle their way back. They chased Vino. One shot, one goal on Bang 55, and Vino came right back in the net. And he said, you know what? I'm, that's it. I'm going to hold the fort. Offense is going to pick it up, and they did. And Rochester was able to come back for a 14-11 victory. And the dagger came from Joey Reza who could become the highest-scoring American in a single season if he continues his pace in the final couple of games. Four minutes even left, folks.
1: Reseteritz, point-blank range, beats Rose clean, and it is
0: 13-11 Rochester. Another power play goal, and the special teams has been the difference in this game, and that's been all Rochester. That was Reseteritz's third of the night, seventh point of the game, and was the dagger as the Nighthawks would come back to beat the Rock 14-11. Outscore them 8-3 in the second half. And for Terrace, he now has 92 points on the season. That is a career high. He's two points behind Schreiber's record of 94 set last year. And you can pretty much doubt that Joey Terrace will get three points in the final two games that Rochester has this season. And he will set an all time mark single season for Americans in the National Lacrosse League. What a season Joey Rez is having. 34 and 58 for a total of 92. Fourth in the league in assists. And if you were looking for team MVPs, you could probably give it to Reza Aterra. It's on Rochester. And he has been wonderful all year long. I think I looked it up. There hasn't been a game all year where he's been held without a point. And I believe his lowest point total in a game is three. And that is correct. He's done it three times. And he's only been held without a goal once. But he still chipped in three times in a win over Toronto back in January. So that's the kind of year... It's been for Reza Terrence. Obviously, that uh, that 14-point night against Buffalo really helped. However, it's been one of those, those years where Reza Terrence has found his game. He's really worked his way to the number one right-handed option for Rochester. And when you think that they moved Dan Dawson to free up space for Reza Terrence, that speaks volumes. So Rochester... Now sits in a tie up the top of the East with Georgia. I wish those two teams would play once more during the regular season. Unfortunately, they don't. Um, here's a little tidbit that I found out this weekend in talking with some of the boys around the loop. Um, when looking at Georgia, they played Toronto three times, beat Toronto all three times, and all three times, Tom Schreiber was not in the lineup. That is why I would like to see them play one more time. Two full squads. Let them go head-to-head. Unfortunately, I don't think Toronto's going to make it into the postseason. They have a pretty tough schedule ahead of them to finish off the season. On the road with Buffalo this weekend, and then they finish on the road against Colorado in the Mile High City. And if they're able to pull one off against Buffalo this weekend... That Colorado game will be huge. We'll get to that in a little bit because that's one of my favorite rivalries in the entire National Lacrosse League. We've spoken about Georgia, though, and they have started to turn things around. And everybody looks at Rochester as one of the hottest teams in the National Lacrosse League going 7-3 and over their last 10 and having won three straight. But the Georgia Swarm are a team that I think people should start to be worried about. As mentioned, they probably have the easiest way into the playoffs as they can get in without even playing this weekend. But they also just have games against Vancouver and New England. The Vancouver game isn't going to mean much for the stealth who have to go on the road for their final game of the year. And then they have to go from Georgia all the way up to New England to play the Black Wolves and the Black Wolves could be fighting for their lives. However, this is a Georgia team that has gone 5-2 and two since the start of March They're starting to find that championship swagger. Players' numbers are down, however, across the board. Their team has become stronger as the year has gone on. And one of the guys who's been able to have a first-hand view of that is former player Mitch Blyle. After announcing his retirement, Blyle made the seamless transition into the color booth alongside Mark Zeno on the Swarm broadcast, and he has done... A wonderful job in that role. But as many of you know, Belial also plays in the MLL for the Boston Cannons, and his season is slowly getting underway for them as they've had training camp uh, this past weekend, and they're getting ready for some games coming up as the MLL season gets set to kick off, which brings us to the prover Lab. And it's the overlap between the two pro leagues. And Mitch Blau wrote a wonderful article for U.S. Lacrosse Magazine. You should go out and check it. Um, Just talks about how that needs to be eliminated. How the two sides need to come together to find common ground. And he has a very interesting take on how he would solve the problem. But first, when we caught up, I just wanted to see where the heck Mitch was and how he'd been doing since retirement.
2: I'm headed home from work, about to go from Jersey City over to Manhattan to pick up my son at daycare and then uh, I get him ready for bed. Crazy man, that's a bit of a commute. Yeah, it's, it's only one one stop from the train, so it's actually pretty pretty nice.
3: And you do that you do, do that every day?
2: Every day, yep. I uh I live in downtown Manhattan and then our office is right across the, the Hudson River and in Jersey City.
3: So the life of Mister Luxurious is living true.
2: <laughs> A lot of lot of, uh, lot of subway trips and walking in downtown Manhattan. So if that's your <laughs> definition of luxury, then then yes, it is that.
3: How, how old your son now?
2: He's 15 months old. So he was oh. actually born the night the night of the first game of the 2017 season. So oh, crazy! Yeah. So I watched uh, I watched the first Swarm game last year from. Hospital room, watch this one nice. take down right. the, the rush.
3: Yeah. That's right. yeah okay in
2: full circle. That's,
3: that's awesome. And and how's uh, retired life treating you, my friend?
2: It's great. It's great. It's been a lot of fun doing the color commentary for the games I was able to do, and um, but also been very nice to be home on, you know, what normally were trips to Saskatchewan and Vancouver and <laughs> in Buffalo, New York in the middle of the winter. So yeah,
3: Yeah, no doubt. Um, we're going to talk about uh, your stuff with Martino in a bit and the, the broadcast stuff, but I obviously want to focus on your article that you wrote for, for U.S. Lacrosse Magazine talking about the, the quote-unquote pro-overlap, uh, pro and that is between the NLL and the MLL season. Um, you said for the, the the top lacrosse players in the world, playing the sport they love at the highest level creates a frustrating dilemma specializing in one league or participating in both with the guarantee of missing games. It's a no win situation. What do you mean by that?
2: I think I mean, I think the biggest thing is it's just it puts players in a bad spot where they they wanna be able to compete with the best in the world. We have two leagues where we have the opportunity to do that. Um but just by doing both you you're inherently gonna have a conflict where you have to miss one or the other and, and typically you miss the outdoor season because um, you know, you wouldn't go and, and just pull out, you know, unless you're really tanking the <laughs> season. Yeah. Um, so it's just, it just puts players in a really bad spot. And, uh, and I will, I will say caveat this, I'm glad we're having this conversation because based on the scope of the article, I've only allowed to write a certain amount, but I didn't give any, <laughs> any suggestions, which I clearly have some ideas and, and there's nothing worse than someone who complains and doesn't offer <laughs> solutions. So yeah. hopefully I'll get, an, I'll get an opportunity to, to say a couple of those ideas that I have.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So obviously, I guess the first question is that everybody asks is, is it possible for for both leagues to exist cohesively so that there is no overlap? It,
2: It is. The question is, is it financially beneficial for both leagues to do so? And... Ultimately, each league is going to want to do what's finance, and I understand the businesses of both. I'm involved in golf business with my full-time job. I've been around both leagues for long enough to know. I know that both leagues have to do what makes the most sense, um, but I do think there's enough days in the year. There's enough arena dates. There's enough outdoor dates that, that um, as the sport continues to grow, there is the potential to get guys involved full-time. And with that, make it a year-round commitment where they can play in both leagues.
3: It would obviously be a monumental decision for for the two sides to come together and make this work. What what are some of your suggestions and ideas that you have to to make this viable?
2: I, I mean, I think the number one solution would be would be a complete acquisition by one league over the other. That would be the, <laughs> the ideal situation would be a merger or or a buyout of one league over the other. Now. There's a lot of underlying factors there that make that uh, easier said than done, but if one group had enough power, clout, money and just said, look, we care enough about taking over the lacrosse world in the professional level from top to bottom, they could potentially run the whole show and then structure things so that way it was most beneficial for both leagues. That's an interesting. So that's, like,
3: that's something i never even thought
2: of. Yeah, and that's the one that I think makes the most sense. And, and the NLL looked a couple of years ago at putting their own outdoor product together, and yeah. you know the infrastructure is there for each league. Now you have a little bit of a different competing interest because in the MRL you've got a couple major sponsors that, that see this as a good marketing opportunity, and thus they they have a vested interest in using this. To hit the right markets that they want and then the nl is a little bit different in that it has you know a lot of different owners and it's is a, is a bit of a different franchise model and has been around a lot longer so it, it would be curious to see how that would work out but ultimately someone would have to take a big investment to make that yeah. happen
3: in the meantime before you know i would imagine that you know, someone one of the leagues saying, you know what, this is it, we're just going to control both. That's probably further away than maybe teams or leagues moving schedules. Do you think that's a possibility that, that you know, with the National Cross League season now starting in November, that
1: maybe
2: the
3: MLL season pushes themselves back a little bit just to create a little space between the seasons?
2: Yeah, and, you know, I I would if, – if I could have my ideal set up, it would be yeah. – Start the NLL even earlier in like the fall, and go go fall through, um, through you know April or May, and then in May kick off after Memorial Day, after all the college coaches are done, kick yeah. off the the outdoor season. But, but even I would even play maybe end NLL a little earlier and start NLL earlier and go like college football through football. On Saturdays, 12 off on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. Who do you think's gotta make the first
3: move? If is, is gonna be um, uh, two separate leads still. Is it the NLO, the MLO, or is it gonna be a matching between the both?
2: I think it's whoever's able to crack the code of making the most money, honestly. I mean whoever whoever is able to, to make the most money is the one that has the success, then they have the leverage and and then the other is going to kind of have to bow to them or, or try to replicate that model, which I think you're seeing a little bit of with the NLL having some recent success with their digital platform and, and doing some things. And I know that, that Sandy and talking to Sandy Brown from the NLL this past weekend, that's something that he, he definitely is saying, taking a hard look at and saying they're doing things well over there, and he's good friends with Nick Beckwith, so he's, he understands what's important.
3: Do the players hold any leverage in this, do you think?
2: at this point it's pretty tough I think because it's such a because both are such small leagues um, it's I guess it's it's a two-way street I'd say a handful of players do the top yeah. players do yeah. but then once you drop off the top guys but, but I mean you look at a guy at Paul Ravel and Paul was arguably, you know, the most recognizable brand in Lacrosse, and he decided not to play. Himself, and that didn't, that didn't adversely affect him, and, uh, in a major degree. So, yeah, you know, that's where it's kind of like if one of the best players isn't playing, and that doesn't that doesn't change much, then I don't know how much leverage players have, <laughs> unless they were all to come together. And, yeah. and then, in which yeah. case, it's like you can't again the leverage piece. You can't strike if if you're striking to, to get something that, you know, is ultimately going to hurt everybody.
3: Yeah. How many guys do you know that, that want to do the double? Like, are there guys that are still, you know, American guys that would love to play the, the, the NLL game but are opting not to? Because, you know, there's guys like Kyle Harrison and a bunch of guys in the Lizards, Paul Rabel, Hartsel. Uh You can go down the list of guys that have, have thought about it or have already dabbled. Um, Joe Walters is another. Uh, how many guys are out there that, that are being hindered by this, do you think?
2: I think with the current status, just a handful, like you, like you mentioned, a majority of them. But with expansion and new teams, I think there's going to be more conflict of guys' interests where they potentially would have an opportunity to try out for and make an NLL team where now they're going to have to really think hard about that decision because um, if they do make a team, then they're going to miss you know a big chunk of their NLL season. Absolutely. Uh, speaking
3: of the National CrossFit, you've uh, nicely stepped into the Colored Woods alongside Mark Zeno uh, on the Georgia Swarm broadcast. Uh, we got this weekend off, but a huge road win for them over Saskatchewan, keeping them in the hunt for number one in the East.
2: Yeah, that was great to see that. I, I unfortunately was unable to watch that game. I was uh, I was at my own training camp for the Cannons, but saw that win and and saw some of the highlights and you know that's a that's a nice rivalry that's started to build over the last few years. That seeing that, that it's you know it's not a not a division win, but it's a huge or a conference win, but it's a huge deal to get that from a morale standpoint. And because I, I just think that one, how good that part is, to it to be able to handle it, that's a that's a huge not on the belt, I think they're just flying high right now. I was checking early, uh, earlier, and earlier. They just feel like things are finally starting to click again, which. I, I in talking. If you ever came back to the broadcast between me and Mark and talking, we, we knew that was going to happen. It was just why hasn't it yet? You know, when will it? And it finally did.
3: Yeah, they're on a, a four-game winning streak right now. They're five and two since the start of March. Uh, obviously, hitting their stride at the right or hitting their stride at the right time is key. Um, as a guy that's been a part of that group, who's really the vocal leader of that team right now?
2: I think getting Jordan Hall back is a um huge piece for them. And Jordan is I wouldn't call him the most vocal leader, but he's just a glue guy that guys want to be around and makes the locker room a fun place to be. Um so so he's certainly one of the best leaders on the team, but he's not like a rah rah guy. He he's mm-hmm. just a glue guy that knows how to get everyone feeling bought in and um and then Joel White is a big piece too. He's just yeah, a veteran leader and so it's 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 I think all those pieces just coming together certainly helped, and then I, the confidence to know that this was basically back in teams last year that they should be this good. They just got to find their rhythm and their flow, and they seem to find it for sure.
3: Offensively, most guys' numbers are down. Uh, that could be just you know teams are playing this offense a little better. They've seen a lot more film, but. How good is this offense Bill? You, you mentioned Jordan Hall, but also with Jesse King, and any emergence of roundy stats is, is an extra weapon as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's getting the fact that those guys day in and day out only makes the defense that much better. So mm-hmm. I think they're certainly hand-in-hand, hand, but they're just – everyone is lethal, and they complement each other really well. You look at a guy like Shane Jackson, you know, one of the toughest players I've ever played with, but – um, he, he doesn't have you know, he's had dodging guys and beating them one on one but if Randy stops can then he draws some attention some slides and, and then Shane's wide open on the back side so those complementary pieces just work so well and that's where I think where we had so much success last year and they're starting to find glimpses of that where it's like mm-hmm. it, it's not just one guy putting, putting goals in it's five or six guys that are on the score sheet or everyone on the offense is getting a goal. On
3: paper, they may have the easiest path to playoffs after this weekend. they got Vancouver at home, and then they've finished the season against New England. How important is it for this club to keep focused on Vancouver and not maybe looking into that final game?
2: Yeah, I think with tight as the records are, every game is just crucial. And I know Eddie Tomo is probably one of the best coaches I've had in terms of preparing the team for the upcoming game and doing the little things to, to solidify that preparation. So I'm very confident that they're not going to overlook Toronto or uh, Vancouver. And, um, and and that's just the only thing they're focused on right now. Do you miss it?
3: You've been away for a while now. Uh, you, you mentioned, you know, you're dealing with family life and work and all that stuff has become a little more normal, but do you, you miss the road trips and, and the kangaroo court and all the things that Jordan Hall tries to find guys for.
2: <laughs> I, do, I do. I certainly do. And that's where getting back in the swing with the, with the cannons has been nice. Um, from that side of of just being on a team and being around a group of guys you care about, um, but it, I think the, the what I did this year was was the perfect balance for me, where I got to be around the guys a, a fair amount, um, got to be, feel like I was part of the team, but at the same time had that freedom to on away games be at home, spend some time with the family. So I certainly felt like I could have been out there contributing, but at the same time, I'm, I'm very I, I have no regrets about the decision I made.
3: I must say it's been an absolute treat to watch you and Mark, uh, you know, form as a broadcast group. Your insight has been absolutely incredible. Are you enjoying this side of the game and being able to break things down a little more and have some fun on the broadcast with Mark?
2: Absolutely, it's it's been a blast. I've gotten to do a few college games as well, and um, I think it's it's a fun. For, I mean, you just you think of it, think of it as sitting around with your is a buddy watching a game and commenting, and and that's what I would do at home anyway. So why yeah. not get to do it on a broader scale and and do it at a high level? So that's certainly been a lot of fun. I'm lucky I work with Ryan Boyle, who does it really well um, at the collegiate level, and so I've got some good mentors there, and hope to hope to continue to to dabble in that field as much as possible.
3: Well, like I said, you are doing a fantastic job, and it brings a lot to the Swarm broadcast. Uh, great stuff on the article with US Black Magazine, and, and keep that stuff up because this is a big thing that everyone's dealing with, and we all want to see the best players playing the best sport. Uh, Mitch, a pleasure as always, my friend. Uh, enjoy your train ride, and we'll talk soon.
2: Thanks, Kerry. Appreciate the kind words, and thanks for having me on.
0: There is. That's Mitch Belisle, former Georgia Swarm defender, current Boston Cannons defender, and current Swarm color man. Doing an excellent job. On the NLL TV broadcast for the Georgia Swarm with Mark Zeno. And it is a role that not a lot of people are comfortable doing. That being putting on a suit, standing in front of a camera, talking into the lens, being articulate, informative, and at the same time having some personality. And I think Mitch has done a wonderful job. He's great in that role. Um, Breaks things down quite well from a defensive aspect during the broadcasts. And I would really like to see every National Lacrosse League team have a former player on their broadcast. Whether it be um, a, a third man between the benches, whether it be the color guy, however you want to do it. I think having former players on the broadcast will only improve the quality of the broadcasts. Look at every sport. Every sport has it. We need to find guys willing to grab a microphone, put themselves out there, look silly in front of a camera, and get the job done. So uh, thanks to Mitch Belisle. He has been fantastic. And uh, really informative and interesting idea of having one of the leagues by the other. I would imagine, actually I don't know, I don't imagine, I would think that possibly it would be the NLL buying the MLL, but I don't think that's really even feasible. Maybe Joe Josiah could buy it and then put it underneath the NLL umbrella. I just wish that somehow we could come to agreement that would allow the best players to play all year long in the two different leagues, I would like to see it. I would also like to see a lot of things, because I think if players went full-time, um, you know, you might see some players opt out of Canadian Summer League, but you might see guys opt out of the MLL instead. I don't know. There's so many things to work around. It's not a perfect model by any means, but somewhere there has to be some common ground. There are 52 weeks in a year and pretty much the two teams use half of those or the two leagues use half of those. So there's got to be some way we can make it work. We'll get to Anne McBride in a minute. Have you ever heard of this game called Gotcha? Me neither. Apparently, it's a thing. And basically, it's legalized, not legalized, but it's allowed stalking. It is a game that's being played by grad classes out here in the West Coast. And I legitimately just found about this today talking with a friend. And apparently, it happened in Vancouver last year as well. And essentially, what it is, is... You draw a name out of a hat of people that want to participate in your grad class. And it's tag. But you can't tag them while they're at school. You can't tag them like 10 minutes or before or 10 minutes after school. That's like the safe zone. And you can't go into their work or if they're in like uh, on a sport team or in a play, you can't go into those events and quote unquote tag them. But what you have to do is essentially figure out where a person's going to be, stalk them, and then go face-to-face and say, gotcha. But there's a caveat, is that like in a game of tag, if you got tagged, there'd be like a safe. So in this game of gotcha, there are things that you could do if you're tagged to get your life back. It got to a point. Where in Vancouver last year, the way to get your life back was that you had to strip down right away. Who does that? How is that the way to get back into things? But it's crazy to think that these kids are legitimately stalking their classmates to win a prize at the end. And apparently it's some sort of monetary prize at this one school. Like a thousand bucks or something like that. And it goes all like just started, and it goes till the end of the year when obviously there is one person left. It's really weird. I I never heard of it. It when I was told, I was like dumbfounded by this game that these kids were playing, and how these kids are literally like phoning home and telling their parents to unlock the door because when they get home, they want to sprint right into their house and be safe, so that they're the person who has them can't catch them. Kids these days. Just go out and play tag. Chase a friend. Doesn't have to be stalking involved. Andrew McBride is much like myself and Mitch Belial, Washed up and still wanting to be a part of the game. Actually, no, Neither of those two guys are washed up. I would imagine both of them could probably still play in this league. Uh, I know Mitch can. Um, Brider and I might be a little past our prime, but regardless... Andrew McBride has done, like Mitch, a wonderful job in stepping into his role with the Calgary Roughnecks broadcasts. And he has become a strong analyst for their team, um, a very poignant person on the socials, speaking his mind. He does a ton of stuff with Alberta lacrosse. Obviously, everybody knows uh, he's one of the coaches for the Okotok Raiders in the, Calgary, in the Alberta Junior League hoping that he can bring a Minto Cup to Alberta for the first time. But he also knows the game better than most. And uh, I was rather surprised that he wasn't or isn't going to be involved uh, with the San Diego Seals organization. I know he was on one of Steve Govett's lists, um, and they had multiple conversations. Uh, Andrew McBride will get his chance. It's coming. It's well overdue. And I think there are a lot of people that would like to see him get a job sooner than later. But nonetheless, he's happy in his role right now with Calgary between the benches, doing some analyst work for them. And some think he's the best dressed man in broadcasting. I might be a little offended by that, but not really. I'm just happy that he's not wearing his hats between the benches anymore. Nonetheless, I caught up with Brider because Calgary is starting to play some good lacrosse. And we talked about how they're going to be facing Colorado in a few weeks in the first round of the playoffs. And everybody knows the past between those two teams, none better than Mr. McBride. And we started our conversation just talking about how impressive that 16-10 to win over the Buffalo Bandits was on Saturday night.
1: Yeah, as I was walking past the coaches, I said best game of the year. I thought... The intensity was there. I thought it was almost like an old-school feel. Both teams were chirping each other. It was physical. They were cross-checking hard. Uh, The pace was back and forth. And offense was playing extremely well. And that's the kind of lacrosse you want. And that's what you need to showcase to the fans and around the league. And I think the Roughnecks are definitely, you know, you use the term peaking at the right time. Mm -hmm. I think the Roughnecks are playing some some fantastic lacrosse um, in all facets of the game. And they're a really well-balanced team. If they can find the consistency and the motivation to put together a full game, they're going to be a dangerous team here down the track. Uh,
3: they had a bit of a struggle um, in the late part of December, and early January on a four-game losing streak, but what's changed with this club uh, since the start of the year? And I don't want the easy answer to be Christian Del Bianco.
1: Well, I think it's attitude. And, you know, looking around the league, the NLL is a strange beast. And, and looking at it from a coaching hat, momentum is something that doesn't get talked enough in sports. And, and when you're feeling good, when you're playing with swagger, when when everything's going well, it's really easy to continue to build on that. But in the NLL, when things are bad, it's not like juniors. If, if my kids aren't transitioning the ball or we're struggling on offense, I schedule four practices. We go out there for eight hours. We bang bodies. We watch some film. We go practice some more. And then we try to try to fix that. The NLL, if you're playing bad, you got to show up on a Friday night. You have an hour of practice. And you try to, you know, make those changes. So, I think attitude and belief in the process. I know that's a big thing when I played and it's a big thing with Kurt Milwaukee, which he likes to preach is come to the brink and be ready to go. And you could see from the start of the year, even just sitting between the benches and the spot I have is the bench was quiet. People were second guessing themselves. They were gripping the sticks a little bit tight. Now they're playing with confidence. They're moving back and forth. They're communicating. They're they're chirping each other on the bench in a positive manner. And it's really kind of swung. So I think the mental edge is really picked up and really improved here down the stretch for the Ruff. You talk about that swagger, and there's not too many
3: teams offensively that play with more swagger than the Cuyahoga Ruffins. It's a very free-flowing offense. They move the ball uh, very unselfish. And it could be the first time since 2011 that somebody other than Evans or Dixon leads this team in scoring. And West
1: has really stepped out of the shadow of Curtis Dixon a bit this year. I mean, I think Wes is one of the most underrated players in the league. He definitely doesn't get enough credit for the little things he do and in coming hard over the picks and setting up the two-man game, in shooting overhand instead of underhand. He plays the game fundamentally well. He doesn't bitch. He gets to the dirty areas. He comes off the bench with speed. These are things that you can't replicate. And, and on the left-hand side, I think it's Riley Lowen.
0: Mm-hmm. He's that
1: grind. He comes in and he does what's necessary to create space for the other superstars in the in the team. Um, When they're moving the ball and when they're unselfish, when you're coming and setting hard picks, when they're swinging the ball, up-pick-off-ball, when you have Holden Katone shooting like he shot last game, definitely the best shooting game of his career. I mean, everybody Mm -hmm. knows he has a a top-end shot and he was shooting it. It's a dangerous squad. You know, Curtis, it was one of those games, you look at the scoreboard, I think they put up 16 or 17, and Curtis was, he was good, but he wasn't superstar, I'm going to get five or six good. Yeah, But that's how the Roughnecks need to be successful. I feel... In the NLL, when you have to game plan for an offense, when you have to game plan for three or four players, it's much more difficult than when you have the one superstar you're going to say, hey, we're going to put all all our resources on him, shut him down. But when you have a balanced attack like that, things are going to be successful. And and for the offense, I've seen it with these guys, it's about buying in and being accountable and staying positive. Sometimes you can see they want to get their touches. Sometimes yeah. you can see that, you know, it gets a little bit frustrating. But if they stay the course and during throughout the game, and they're going to put up between 13 and 16 goals in single game.
3: With defense and offense, there's always the connection between that Cogler-Ruffin squad. But one area that's really impressed me this year has been their transition game. Uh, we all know the exploits of Zach Courier. He's in the running for Rookie of the Year. It's going to be 1-2. Fall between him and Josh Burns. Courier might even be taking the lead in that race, especially since He continues to lead the league in loose balls as a rookie, which is a phenomenal stat, especially for a guy that's not taking a lot of draws.
1: It's unbelievable, his ball sense. Uh, I don't think the average fan appreciates the way he tracks the ball. The only person I can compare it to, and I know it was our our former coach, Chris Hall's favorite player, is Jim Veltman. The kid has a knack for the ball. He's on it. He's scooping it up. He's making moves. He doesn't seem to ever get tired. He's elusive. Uh, in my mind, watching them both play, he's the rookie here year for sure. Um, the transition game is is firing on L cylinders, like maybe yeah. wild. Yeah, that was maybe the next guy we talk about is playing unbelievable across, and not only doing a, a good job scoring, but stretching the floor. If you mm-hmm. watch him when the ball there's a shot, he is down the floor at a top rate of speed, which really opens up the middle of the floor for the other guys. And I think that's a key in the transition game. I know my good buddy Jeff Snyder always used to to really preach that point is when you stop in the center and when you're going slow in the center, it really does clog up the neutral zone. That's when right. you have guys stretching the floor, it allows for things to happen. And he's scoring on a high pace. He's bringing lots of energy. And, and I think the Roughnecks transition game with their top guys has been been in the spot maybe it hasn't been in a few years. There's always one or two guys, and they always try to transition by committee but you know we didn't have fleet of foot pure athletes like those guys are and it's it's definitely an added dynamic to their squad
3: mitch wild uh, career year in goals points and assists uh, since coming over from buffalo he's been a great addition uh for that calgary roughnecks defense and transition game and i guess we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the work that rob williams is doing coaching that back end taking over for bruce Scott, who's now with calgary how have you liked his transition especially being a d guy
1: well, you see what you get with Rob. He's put yeah. his stamp on, on the Roughnecks, and you know, playing with Sato, he was a meat and potatoes guy. He'd be hard on the crosscheck. He wouldn't, he wouldn't complain. And and the Roughnecks D is, you know, D never gets any credit. But I've said to him after every game, like your five on five defense is fantastic. They're mm-hmm. in tight. They're hard on the crosscheck. They're communicating. They understand the systems. I think that's the big thing in defense. But sometimes it can get hard in the NRL when you're playing different opponents. But from a philosophy standpoint, you can tell the roughness know what they're trying to do. And I think he's done a great job in, in implementing confidence in him. He's a funny personality. He's a guy that, you know, really guys can rally around and find some common interest with him. And he's got him playing great. So as a young coach, I know he's been a head coach in Maple Ridge. You, you can see that he was ready for the next step. You can see that he's ready to go and have guys respond to him. And kudos to him for the way the defense is playing. He's playing outstanding lacrosse right now.
3: It's not much of a surprise, but is it a bit of a surprise to see Christian Del Bianco playing the way he is having sat for, you know, pretty much the first half of the season?
1: Well, I think maturity wise, you really don't see goalies in the NLL and in the history of the NLL. If you look back at the last 10 to 15 championships, I think 13 or 14 of those had goalies that are over the age of 30. Mm -hmm. So here you have this whiz kid that everyone touts is the next best thing. And he comes in and he lives up to the bill. And I think, The best thing, the best compliment I could give a Christian is his mental toughness. When he gets scored on, he just lets it go. When things are going well, it's the same even keel as when things are going bad. I think his compete level um, is exceptional, but the way he can focus after good and bad games is something that's really, really remarkable for a young kid. And, you know, you used to play a little defense. I used to play a defense when you got a goaltender running around, making big saves, throwing the outlet ball a lot easier for the old defense to do their job. And you can yeah. see the confidence he's installed in their team. You can see the belief that he has. Um, and he's done exceptionally well coming in. Did I know he was going to have a long, outstanding career watching him a lot in junior? Absolutely. Did I think it might happen this quick? I didn't. But um, he's, he's, uh, I'll tell you right now, he's he's two, two or three of the top best goalies, if not the best goalie in the league right
3: now. I was going to say, you know, Evan Kirk's put up 11 wins, which a lot of people will look at as a standard, but delves leads the league in goals against leads the league in save percentage is he a candidate for goal of the year do you think
1: yeah he has to be i mean there's there's no doubt about it the number of games they've even held opponents to 10 or less i mean that that stat in the nll nowadays if you can do that i think he's going to win 90 percent of the games you play in. i think he has to be put in that category for what he's done to the team when the team was was struggling and you know what it's not a knock on frankie shilliano i think frankie's mm-hmm. played great i know frankie's a competitor he wants to play i sit beside him and and i talk to him and it's one of those things that that's how the cookie crumbles sometimes with goaltending it's such a dynamic polarizing position that one little thing can turn it and as for christian del bianco absolutely he should be in the running yeah i think it would be a shame if he wasn't in the finals and and he's got a legit chance to win it absolutely uh two games left for the calgary
3: roughnecks they know their destiny uh, they got a date May 5th with the Colorado Mammoth. We're going to talk about that because you're already chirping me hard about what's going to happen in that game. But uh, <laughs> Vancouver this weekend, um, not a, not a, I don't want to call it trap game because I really don't like that, that word of using a trap game, especially when things are settled. But uh, I asked Pat Coyle this, so I'll ask you this. What's the toughest job as a coach trying to keep your team focused when you already know the path that's ahead of you?
1: Committing to being fundamentally disciplined, committing to getting the team believing that the third possession in the second quarter versus Vancouver is going to translate over to the playoff game in Colorado. You really need to preach to people that listen. We understand that this game, for, for all, everything you can say doesn't mean anything. But what it does mean is to be able to focus on the good habits and to focus on the little things that we need to translate over to be successful because the alone is so tight in all areas with all teams that if you don't continue to practice being perfect and continue to practice on executing when you need it to happen it might not happen so i think the players realize that can you mentally come out is it easy as a player to say well you know things aren't going well here it's not our best effort but we know we got a game in two weeks absolutely But I think if you want to be excellent, if you want to rise to be a champion, it's the little minute details of focusing that you have to do. And I know the Roughnecks coaching staff preach that. And I know the leadership group on the Roughnecks is going to say, hey, listen, fellas, this is where we keep going. We got momentum. Let's keep getting that swagger. Let's keep building on this. So when we go into these next two games in the playoffs, we're firing on all cylinders.
3: Uh, Before we get to the Mammoth game, uh, what a night it was in Calgary this past weekend. Largest crowd of the year for any national lacrosse league team. Obviously, uh, thoughts and prayers go to everybody in Humboldt. But how cool has it been to see uh, the lacrosse world rally around the
1: tragic events in Saskatchewan? Well, you know, a terrible event, like you said. I mean, Mm -hmm. just a polarizing thing that really gripped the nation. And proud to be a Canadian and proud to be associated with a country where People from all facets of life, from all races, religions, really rally behind something. Um, and the lacrosse community is no different. And you and I both know that at 99.9% of the lacrosse guys I've always played with are self unselfish. They're salt of the earth guys. They would do anything to give back to the game of lacrosse. They appreciate the opportunities they've had. And to see the NLL and these teams really piggyback on that is something very special and something they should be proud of. To have the biggest 50-50 a $100,000 50-50, yeah. with half of it going to Humble, to see the crowd response, um, to see everybody kind of rally behind that is is, is unique and, and something that the game should be proud of and something that needs to be fostered in not only other environments, but be fostered throughout the minor lacrosse association to be fostered in growing the game. You know, you hear lots of negative stories these days about lacrosse, registration mm-hmm. down, the CLA, all these different things. But focusing on good and focusing on having role models for younger kids like that is something that needs to be mentioned. And uh, as a former player and as someone that's involved in lacrosse, I couldn't be prouder uh, with the community and the players and, and everybody doing their part. Well said. May 5th,
3: Calgary, Colorado. Are you excited?
1: I am. I mean, it's like another chapter. You know, you always hear these rivalries. of You go back to the Boston, Toronto, you got the Yankees, Red Sox. I mean, when you've beaten a team eight times in a row in the playoffs, as the Roughnecks have beaten the Mammoth, it might even be nine, uh, it, it's going to it's gonna cause a little angst, I think. I think mentally there is a, a little bit of a mental block for, for Colorado. I think on the other side, it's a positive for the Roughnecks. Like, going in there knowing you've won that many times, it gives you an advantage. It might be a 1% advantage. It might be a 3% advantage. But I think to say that it's not an advantage – I wouldn't be an accurate statement. Do I think it's yeah. going to be an even game? Sure. I think these teams are, are both evenly matched. I think we talked about goalies. I think Dylan Ward is, is in the category for top three goalies in the NL, NLL. I think it's going to be a question of if the Colorado defense can game plan well enough and shut down the Roughnecks offense. I think the offense has had success. I, I think they're, they're really going to need a, to do a good job of, of really finding ways to shut down the Roughnecks offense and really keep them off the scoreboard early but uh playoff atmosphere going into Denver is going to be an excellent game you know it's, uh i'm sure sports interaction's going to come out with the odds <laughs> it's it's a, it's a coin flip in my mind and when we talk about the little things and special teams and preparation those are going to be the differences
3: are you upset that you don't get to wear another fancy suit uh, at a calgary roughnecks home game
1: i got a lot of love i mean you know it is for me for me who's really gotten Castized for many many years around the NLL with his <laughs> with his style, it was uh, it was nice to I guess see that. But um, I, I had a lot of fun between the benches. It's really unique being able to give back to the game. I love breaking down stuff like you. I love being able to hopefully help the the average fan learn a little bit more about lacrosse. And I think there's a lot of guys now with yourself. I know you're interviewing Mitch Blyle, um who are doing that. And I think that's great. And I think that's a really big part and parcel for growing the game. I think we need people that have played the game who can string a sentence together like yourself, that sure. can that can display and kind of put forth why lacrosse is great in a concise manner. And I think with these new exciting times, with them getting on Bleacher the Report, it's going to be a key addition and a key part to growing these other markets and continuing to push the game on the main stage.
3: Um, one last thing. Um, were you upset, disappointed – Happy that uh, you didn't get the nod from Steve Gov in San Diego?
1: Well, I I mean, listen, coaching is definitely something I want to do. It's a goal of mine to be a general manager in the NLL. It's a goal of mine to be a head coach and a coach. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a long process. I think you have to put your time in. It's not something you're handed for nothing. Um, I, I was extremely excited to hear Patty Merrill get the job. I coached against him at the Minto. I played against him. He was a leader. He was a fierce competitor. I think for me, it was great to see a young guy get an opportunity to show what he could do. And it's no, it's no slight on all these coaches that have, that are in the NL or have, but I think young blood in any industry in any profession is very important. From new ideas, um, from different ways of thinking to relating to, you know, the the players. Um, So do I want to coach in the NL? Absolutely. What I'm going to focus on is continuing to run my Junior A franchise, the Raiders, as best as I can. I learn every year um, in terms of video. We have crossover in terms of practice plans, in terms of relationships with the players. And all you can really do is take care of your area. And hopefully somebody one day believes in what you can bring to the table and, and takes a chance on you. But. Um, in terms of of the hiring with, with Patty, I think it was a great hire. I think he's going to do fantastic there. I think he's going to come in and put his stamp on the team. He's gonna he's coached at a high level. Like I said, he's played at a championship pedigree, and you're not going to find a better guy that's going to start the team. So one day, hopefully, I'll get my shot, and we'll keep working towards it. Your goal right now is with uh, the Oak, Oak Raiders and the Minfield Cup,
3: how excited are you to bring uh, a chance to bring a national championship back to the Oak, Oak?
1: Oh, and, Pops, you know, even our committee, like our our Twitter game, our list of um, sponsors so far, our group that has worked tirelessly to put things together has done an exceptional job. The support from the Roughnecks, this is going to be a world-class event in conjunction with the Midget Boys Nationals, in conjunction Mm -hmm. with the U19 Women's Field Nationals. We're really looking to put on a showcase and really show a a festival-like atmosphere. Um, In terms of coaching, we've got a great group of kids, you know, got practice again tonight the the best compliment i can give these kids is they've bought in to what our culture is which is working extremely hard i would put our kids work ethic and the way they come to the rink uh up against any team i've ever played on and and that's kudos to them sure we're hard on them and we have a high expectation but our expectation cannot be reached if these kids don't have the buy-in and we're we're raring to go i know the kids are working hard i know our league's very excited um it's going to be a great showcase for lacrosse as it is all the time and i'm looking forward to To not only Roughnecks fans being able to watch it here in Alberta, but to inspire younger kids. I know you with yourself in Victoria, watching the Shamrocks, even myself, Senior B and Ladner, those are the reasons. I remember going to Coquitlam and sitting in the the aisle watching the Gate Brothers play Patty Coyle and Andy Mm Ogilvy. That's the reason I wanted to play lacrosse. So I I think our group and the management group is going to take a lot of pride in putting on an event where we have, you know, 5, 10, 100 kids sitting in the stands saying, whoa, this is what I want to do with my playing and lacrosse career. So we're excited. Now we just got to do all the necessary steps to make sure we're, we're qualified and we get there. And, and that'll rely on me. So I'm a little stressed <laughs> about that. But other than that, we'll be fine. Uh, you're a beauty,
3: my friend. I appreciate you giving some time as always. Great job between the benches this year with the Roughnecks. Uh, you do a fantastic job. Uh, appreciate all your sport. And give us some time as always, buddy. Awesome, buddy. Really appreciate it.
1: We'll put a bottle of uh, spice rum on the line. I'll take the Roughnecks. You can take the mammoth here in the playoffs. And we'll. See what happens from
3: there. Consider it done. You, you still already owe me a
0: bottle, I least. I think I
3: do. I was about to say, I think, okay, we'll go Double or <laughs> we'll nothing. We'll Double or nothing. Deal. Double. Consider it done, brother. Thanks, my man. All right. Thanks, buddy.
0: There he is, Andrew McBride, analyst for the Calgary Roughnecks, former captain, a man who's been between the benches for quite a while, but also between the boards in some of those heated Calgary Colorado playoff matches. And it is going to be another beauty on May 5th down. In Denver, I didn't get to talk about uh, the Greg Harnett goal because we got kind of tied up um, speaking about Mitch Wild and, and some of the transition guys on that Calgary roster. But when you can get contributions from your back end, when you can get D guys scoring, it's always great. But when you're a team that is starting to put together something special and try to work towards a common goal, when you can get guys to score highlight real goals that don't normally score them, it is a huge boost for your lacrosse club. And Greg Harnett, unfortunately for Brad's self, probably backhanded his way into a versus title this weekend.
1: And Calgary finds the loose ball, and Courier has it. Courier has Dobie ahead. Dobie has a breakaway, takes a shot, rebound is there, behind the back scores! Whoa! Greg Harnett! With the pretty goal out
3: of nowhere, and it's 5-4 Cavalry. Not who you would expect to be doing
0: that. Nope, uh, you would have given me about seven guesses before we got, maybe even more than that. No, no disrespect to Greg Harder, but a fantastic finish. Giggy Nets with a wonder goal that Alex Bouquet never even saw. And that was just the kind of night it was for the Calgary Roughnecks as they rolled over. The Buffalo Bandits by the tune of 16 to 10. Sorry, 16 to 9. I've been saying 16 to 10 all day. 16 to 9. But this is a Calgary club that, as Bryder and I sort of talked about, they often struggle to start the year. And I don't know if it's because there's such high expectations put on them by outsiders or within that locker room that they struggle. But they often do. Remember, they were one and six a couple years ago, and then stormed back to make the playoffs. Uh, this year, they they had a bit of a hot start, then they lost four in a row. That was when they made the the change from Sigliano to Christian Del Bianco, and ever since then, their season has sort of turned around. And I absolutely believe that Christian Del Bianco is in the running for goaltender of the year. It would not surprise me if he wins it. Just like now, it's not going to surprise me if Zach Courier wins Rookie of the Year. It wouldn't surprise me if Delbs wins Goaltender of the Year. Leading the league in goals against average and save percentage. If he would have started the year, his numbers might be different. He's played about 300 less minutes than some of the other top goaltenders. But you can't take that away from him. A .79 save percentage and a 10.41 goals against average. Tops in the league in both. A record of 6-5 and and has done everything in his power to get Calgary into the playoffs. And much like Bryder said, usually you see goaltenders take time to mature into a number one in the National Lacrosse League. Christian Del Bianco has done it still as a junior lacrosse player. That is how good he truly, truly is. And I was worried last year at times when they were putting him in and he just didn't look comfortable in the bigger nets. He, it still took him some time to adjust to the speed of the National Lacrosse League game from the shooters. But now he is on another level back to playing with the confidence that we're used to seeing from him in his junior games. He now has that playing in the national cross. He has a swagger about him and he just does his job, puts the pads on. He's not a finger pointer. He's not a yeller or a screamer. Every time he gets scored on, he reaches back, grabs the ball, hands it to the official. Like, nothing phases the kid. And that was one of the things that when I spoke with Pat Coyle um, about Christian Del Bianco, that's one thing he's always said that's impressed him the most is nothing seems to phase him. A goal happens, he's able just to forget about it and move on, and that's not a lot of that's not a characteristic a lot of goaltenders possess, because it's just such a daunting position. It's like a quarterback in the National Lacrosse League or in in the M- NFL. The sole focus is on you. And when something bad happens, you are generally the reason. And goaltenders in sports are the same way. When a bad goal goes in, it's all your fault, no matter how well you're playing. And Christian Del Bianco is just a rare, rare talent. And It's remarkable to see his rise into the number one spot and how it's happened. I didn't think it would happen this quickly. I thought that Siggs was going to have another strong year and we really weren't going to see Del Bianco until next year once expansion happened. But he's been ready for the spotlight for a while now and he's earned it. And he's got Calgary in a position to go into the playoffs on a roll. They have a pair of games left. To kill out the season, they're in Vancouver this weekend before finishing up on the road in Saskatchewan. And like most of these games that we're seeing, it's going to be very interesting to see how teams play those final couple games. Roster moves, chemistry-wise, depth-wise, all those things go into account. But I think that game against Calgary-Saskatchewan on April 28th, to end the year, is going to be a beauty. Because both teams are going to want to send a message going into the playoffs. Saskatchewan's going to get the bye week. They have this weekend off before they play Calgary at home next week, and then they're going to get another bye week before they have to host the final. And if you haven't heard, the West finals on a Thursday, that's going to change a lot of things. It may not seem like a big deal, but when we've seen players have to miss games because of work on Fridays, what are guys going to do when they have to miss work for a game on Thursday? Because you're gonna have to miss three days of work. Cause you gotta travel Wednesday, you're playing on Thursday, and you travel home Friday. That's three days of missed work when it's usually just a day two at most. So a Thursday game could change some things, but we'll wait till we get down there. So this weekend there's just three games. The second and last weekend in the NLL season, and there are just three contests. And unfortunately, that Calgary-Vancouver game doesn't mean anything, but that's going to be a very interesting game just to see how Vancouver plays it um, and to see which kind of lineup Calgary goes. I wish that was a game that meant something because Calgary-Vancouver always play great games. Uh, We know New England and Rochester is going to be a battle because both those teams are fighting for their lives in the playoffs. But the game I'm most interested in Is Toronto v Buffalo Saturday night in Banditland? Toronto fighting for their playoff lives at seven and nine, Buffalo clinging to the third place spot in the East. They're even even though they're tied with New England at eight and eight. When you get two teams that have such a hated history amongst each other playing a game that has so much meaning. Sometimes it can blow up in your face and just be a dud. But more often than not, it is going to be a fantastic contest. The two teams have already played twice this year. Each team has a win at home. Buffalo 13-9 over Toronto to kick off their season. And then Toronto beat them two weeks later, three weeks later even, 20-13 to at the ACC. Now, this game this weekend could see Toronto knocked out of the playoffs if the Bandits can hold court on home floor. If you are in the area and you can get to that game, I highly suggest it. Nick Rose versus Alex Bouquet between the pipes, two very physical defenses. A transition team in Toronto that could really turn that game on its head. But the big question going into that game will be, for me, the Toronto offense. Because we all remember when they went on that four-game run of scoring 20-plus and just putting up huge numbers. We haven't seen that Toronto since that run of ridiculousness. When they put up. Uh, 20 on Buffalo, 24, then 17, then 21. Ever since, they've dropped hard. The most they've scored since that game was the 17-goal outburst against Calgary late in March. The injury to Tom Schreiber hurt them in the later stretches of the season. I think with everything that was going on in the personal life of Adam Jones, that weighed on him, having a baby, And dealing with all the pressures of of that mental state. Because that can't be easy. There there has to be some sort of self-consciousness that doesn't allow your head to be 100% in the moment when your wife is at any moment going to have your first baby. That's got to weigh on you. And so with that out of the way, and with Tom Schreiber being near 100% healthy again it's time for that Toronto offense to refine their form I think keeping Dan Lintner in that offense is huge Um, I was rather surprised to see uh, no Brett Hickey for the Toronto Rock this past weekend that was a bit of a strange one will you see him this weekend against Buffalo, I think you got to put him in the lineup. I think you can run Hellyer, Schreiber, Lintner, and Hickey out the front door. And then you run McArdle, Jones, and Taylor along the other side with Reed Reinhold. You might even take Taylor out. He scored his first goal as a rock this past weekend. Um, He's been good in his times there, but I think if you're going to go seven forwards, you want to have your best guys out there, put Brett Hickey in the lineup. Unfortunately, Dan Taylor's the odd man out. Go four rights, three lefts. There's your offense. If Buffalo can shut that offense down, which teams have been finding ways as of late, I don't think Toronto has a chance. And it's unfortunate because early in the year, A lot of people had them as the top team in the NLL East. But it's been a thing with Toronto over the past few years of injuries. And injuries have killed this team in the past. And that injury to Tom Schreiber was really a massive, massive crack in the armor. But for the sake of all things awesome, I would love to see Toronto beat Buffalo. I would love to see New England get the win over Rochester and bring everybody that much closer to everybody else so that when it came down to the final week, that all of those games would have some sort of meaning. Here is a simple breakdown of what can happen this weekend. Rochester or Georgia, if they get a win, they're in. Rochester and Toronto win this weekend. is in as well. It also would guarantee Rochester a home playoff game. Buffalo's in with a win and a Rochester win as well. And if the Rock lose to Buffalo, they are eliminated. Also, Toronto, they can't finish first anymore. That's pretty simple. So those are the basic things that can happen this weekend. Other than that, it's still a crapshoot. Hopefully we get some clarity but for the sake of awesomeness in the final weekend, I'd love to see Toronto and New England pull off wins this weekend. If Toronto and New England win, win, that puts Toronto at 8 and 9. It moves Buffalo to 8 and 9. New England moves to 9 and 8. Rochester 9 and 8. Georgia idle 9 and 7. Unfortunately, we can't have a five-way tie. But just those two wins really changes everything in the balance of the East. Which would make the weekend games of Week 21 that much more important. It puts life in that Vancouver-Georgia game. It puts life in the Colorado-Toronto game. So... For all of us crazy people that just want to see things burn. That's the scenario that we're wanting. A Buffalo loss and a New England win. Keep your fingers crossed. Also, Calgary-Vancouver, it's going to be a battle. It always is. And maybe there might be a little more battle in it because Vancouver's out. But nonetheless... Those are your three games this weekend. Check them out. NLL TV has them all as always. A couple more things before we get out of here. If you were on the socials, you would have seen three legends down in San Diego over the weekend as the San Diego Seals had their select a seat event. They inquired the services of Casey Powell, John Grant Jr. and Gary Gate. Now, I truly don't think any three are going to have anything in an official capacity to do with the San Diego Seals. Um, I can tell you that none of them are on the coaching staff, even though it is yet to be announced. That's going to happen once the NLL season is done, out of respect to those that are still coaching in the league. But it was cool to see those three legends there because they're names that can bring people out. And I'm not sure we've seen official numbers of how the Select the Seat event went. Um, They were posting pictures of people with their seats and their tickets and everything that was going on. But to have that clout, um, and it helped that all three played for the Mammoth when Steve Govett was there. But to be able to bring those three names out was huge. Um, I know Casey Powell brought his Speed the cross family out, so they were playing some games inside the arena while things were going on, and um, they were out doing promotional appearances with head coach and GM Pat Merrill. So the Seals are doing everything they can to just get the tires rolling, drum up some business, get some hype around the club, and we'll just have to wait and see. But I thought it was pretty cool to see those guys down there in the sunshine helping out um, and trying to get the word out about the San Diego Seals and everything that's going on with that new organization. So uh, good job by those three legends as the Seals are. What is that? What are they? What are we now? Um, April. So we're eight months away from the 2018 season kicking off. When you think about it, it's not that far away. December 2018. Season will probably maybe even start in November, so we're even less. Seven months away from the kickoff of the new season, and we haven't even finished this one. But what we do know is this season is going to come down to the wire. The West is set. The East, still a jumble. But if Toronto loses this weekend, we get some clarity. And, of course, Rochester, Georgia win. They're in. We can get a lot of clear thing, a lot more clear this weekend. A lot more clear this weekend. Nonetheless, get out there. Take a friend to a game. Go watch some minor games. Uh, I'm going to go head out and watch Peninsula and Saanich play in some midget A1 lacrosse right after this. If you have minor box in your area, go watch it. Check it out. It's where you're going to see the next greats of this game is scraping their knees and getting dirty in the corners and lacrosse boxes around this great country. So... Enjoy it. It's, it's summer lacrosse season very soon. But it's also NLL season, and I'm so excited for the final few weekends of the regular season and moving forward on to the playoffs as well. Got to thank my good friends, the former player turned broadcaster alumni of Mitch Blyle and Andrew McBride. You can follow them on Twitter, of course, with their exploits and all that they're doing. And, of course, you can see both of them on broadcast during NLL TV. That's where you'll find me as well next Saturday when the Mammoth host the Toronto Rock in their season finale. Teddy Jenner is the name. Teddy.Jenner at gmail.com is the email. Find me on Twitter at OffTheCrossBot. It's been another great week. Hopefully we'll talk to you in a week's time. Take a friend to a game and take a friend take two. Until then, be excellent to each other.